All right, you have a Bible, why don't you turn to the book of Micah. We're going to look at chapter 2. Chapter 2 of Micah, verse 1 through 13, and the message is entitled, The Judgment of Evil. The history of mankind teaches us clearly that the effects and consequences of unchecked sin leads to corruption and every kind of evil on a nation without exception. Time is the only different factor. There being destruction to the family and the authority of society, there is a definite line crossed that marks the point of no return. Destruction from within and conquest from without. Those are the two ways that it happens. Such is the picture of the prophet Micah from um, giving us this judgment regarding the northern and the southern kingdom by addressing the two capitals, Samaria and also Jerusalem in chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 5. Micah was from Morasheth, verse 1 and 14 tells of chapter 1, located about 20 miles southwest of Jerusalem on the border between Judah and Philistia or the Philistine territory. Now Micah prophesied through the reign of three kings that is given to us here in verse 1, Uh, He's the sixth minor prophet prior to the captivity of the northern kingdom by Assyria, which came in 722 B.C. Uh, Jothan, in verse 1, reigned from 750 to 735 B.C. Ahaz reigned from 735 to 715 B.C. And Hezekiah reigned from 715 to 687 B.C. Now remember, when you're looking at the Old Testament, you're going backwards in the dates. So I'm not making a mistake. You're going backwards as you come towards the New Testament. And the prophet Micah would cover approximately around 53 years if you look at this date between 740 and 687 B.C. Not that he prophesied all those years. We can't be sure. But that gives you a good section that you know that he was in. Now, here in chapter 2... The prophet Micah denounces the evil of his day, and it's characterized by three things. Let me read our text for us. Woe to those who devise iniquity, who work out evil in their beds. At morning light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields, they take them by violence, also houses, and seize them. So they oppress a man in his house and a man in his inheritance. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold... Against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks, nor shall you walk haughtily, for this is an evil time. In that day one shall take up a proverb against you and lament with a bitter lamentation, saying, We are utterly destroyed. He has changed the heritage of my people, how he has removed it from me to a turncoat he has delivered our fields. Therefore, you will have no one to, de- to determine boundaries by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not prattle, you say, to those who prophesy. So, they shall not prophesy to you. They shall not return insult for insult. You who are named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord restricted? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? Lately, my people have risen up as an enemy. You pull off the robe with the garments from those who trust you. As they pass by, like men return from war. 
The women of my people you cast out from their pleasant houses, from their children. You have taken away my glory forever. Arise and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is defiled. It shall destroy, yes, with utter destruction. If a man should walk in false spirit and speak a lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, even he would be the pratter of this people. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of its pasture. They shall make a loud noise because of so many. The one who breaks open will come up before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. Their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. The prophet Micah denounces the evil of his day, which is characterized by the three following things. First, we have the faithful warning to the evil people, verse 1 through 5. Secondly, we have the unfaithful practices of the prophets and the people, verse 6 through 11. And then finally, the faithful remnant of God's people in verse 12 and 13. The faithful warning... To the evil people comes first, verse 1 through 5. Notice verse 1. The prophet Micah denounced those who plan and plot their evil. Micah revealed God was aware of their wicked plotting. Listen to his words. Woe to those who devise iniquity. I've told you often when you read the word woe, he's not on a horse. It means judgment. The ideas of startling grief in terms of judgment, the surprise. It's called judgment. It appears only this time in Micah. How many times does God have to say the judgment is coming or going to do something? Just one time. When he said it more than once, pay real close attention to it. A series of warnings to those who are addressed means it's a national problem. Having turned their backs on the covenant. We've seen this through the minor prophets that we've seen up to this point. A clear statement of responsibility and accountability to their creator and covenant God, bringing judgment upon themselves, even as Deuteronomy 27 to 32 tells you the blessings, the cursings. God told them there. If you do this, I'll bless you. If you do this, I'm coming after you. God cannot lie. Notice the word device. It means to think, to calculate, to invent. God knew their very thoughts. See, this is what men forget. Sometimes men from the pulpit forget this. Sometimes Christians forget this. The non-believers, you and I were before we came to Christ, we were, we were unaware of it. We just thought we were good. We were religious. We were this. We were that. We had control. But he's talking to his people, those who knew him, who walked away from him. This is always the most dangerous. Michael revealed God was aware of their plans in the night. Listen carefully. And work out evil... On their beds. God was the silent observer of the process of their thoughts and intents of their hearts as they put together these schemes on how to rip people off, how to get wealthier. James speaks about the rich man trusting in his wealth. He warns the believer. God was seeing their wicked imaginations being solidified as they laid in bed there all night. Okay, how can we do this now? Just, and there are people who just live for money. Believers as well as Christians, sometimes they walk away. The Bible speaks, Paul tells Timothy, they pierce themselves with many sorrows. 
They've been deceived through wealth, through different things. Notice Michael revealed God was aware when they committed the evil also. At morning light, they practiced it. So they, they couldn't wait for the day to break. And when it did, they go out out there, okay, let's put it together. And they just figured it all out. And God saw the execution of it, the thinking, the process, the scheming, the conniving. Couldn't wait, couldn't sleep all night. I want to do it. You say, who's that evil? You and me? If we don't walk with God? You just stay in the world long enough. We just flow with the culture. Notice Michael reveals the reason they did all this wickedness because it is in the power of their hands. Ooh. Just because they can. Just simply for the fact that they were able to take advantage of the less fortunate. Simply due to the fact that they were able to get away with it and no one could say or do anything. That's the history of man, ladies and gentlemen. Look at verse 2. The prophet Micah declared the specific evil. Micah stated the cold-hearted crimes. They covered fields and take them by violence, also houses, and they seized them. They covered a particular fields and houses. Um, the word covet simply means to desire something that's not theirs, to be theirs, make it their own. Plotting, how can I do this? Trying to use the law in, in improper ways and everything, you know, foreclosing on them. Well, I'll take the property off your hand. People do that today. Be careful of telephone calls. You know, the IRS wants to call you. The IRS will never call, give you a phone call. They'll send you a letter. Dial this number. Hey, I hear you were in trouble. Let me take your house. Yeah, they take your house. They mortgage it, everything else. You're still owner. You don't know it. Now you've got to pay the whole bill. Wow. Some even say they're Christians. Kind of like they has covered a Nabal's field, right? False accusations. Jezebel said, ah, let me get it for you. Had him killed. Notice they gain ownership of fields and houses by violent robbery. By brute force against a person's will and ability to do anything about it. The frustration, the hardship of people. When I grew up in the 60s, we, we talk about the things that went on in Russia, in Cuba, in China. Communist countries that just ruled over people, just took everything and whatever it was. Now we're seeing that same philosophy being embraced by our own people here in this nation. Very slowly, very progressive. We've got a socialist, complete socialist. That's a Marxist that, that was there with uh, Stalin and that on the Democratic Party. 75 years old and young people are following him left and right. My Lord. By abusive judges through bribes defrauding contracts and titles. My father only had a sixth grade education, but he always told me, son, the law is like a rubber band. It depends who's pulling it. Pretty smart for a sixth grader. Hmm. Look at verse 2. Micah declared a, a commentary of their evil deeds. So they oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. The injustice is marked by the word oppress. That means to exhort, to defraud deceitfully. The effect is 
to the head of the home. The wife, his children. The magnitude of their evil is to take from him what his family has passed on and down through the generations as an inheritance. Something that's valuable, something that's very, it's, it's the effect, the, the, the effectual belonging to that. It's, it's, it's personal. Listen to Isaiah 5, 8 through 10. Now remember, Isaiah is a contemporary. He's in the, he's, he's in the city. And, and, and Micah also speaks to the city of Jerusalem, but to Samaria. So look at the comparison. Woe to those who join house to house. They add field to field till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. In my hearing, the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, and he's never lost a battle, said, truly, Many houses shall be desolate, great and beautiful ones, without inhabitants. For ten acres of vineyards shall yield one bath, very little. And an omer of sea shall yield one ephod, very little. Judgment. Isaiah and Micah were one in the message. Look at verse 3 through 5. The prophet Micah describes the justice of God. In verse 3, all four are under the authority of Yahweh. Therefore, thus saith the Lord Yahweh. All capital letters, the title of his covenant. God stands is regarding to the wealthy, covetous culprits. Listen to the word. Behold, against the, this family, I am devising disaster. What family? The family of the north. The northern kingdom. The southern kingdom, he's going to also. Assyria's going to do that and is going to threaten Jerusalem, but it won't go, Judah won't go in until many years afterwards, not until 606. North of the kingdom, 722. God's enforcement of punishment is a yoke of bondage. Listen to his words. From which you cannot remove your necks. When God's judgment falls, no one can avert it. No one escapes. You may think you have things wired and you've got things all together and you've worked all things out. If you are walking apart from the Lord, you're on your own. You're your own sentinel. Bondage on their necks. Notice God's ability to humble them. Nor shall you walk haughtily. He would devastate them. They become little girls. You ever see some of these 48-hour crimes, stuff like that? These guys do gruesome crimes. Then they get taken in by the police and they cry like little girls. Wow. God's declaration of the period is, listen, for this is an evil time. God doesn't exaggerate. God doesn't lie. What, should, what, what is God saying about America and the world at large today? Look at four. Micah declared their words of hopelessness in the day God would punish them. Their castigation would be certain and um, they would be well with bitter regret. In that day, one shall take up a proverb against you and lament with a bitter lamentation. So their declaration would be hopelessness. He, he, God is giving them the words they're going to say. Saying, we are utterly destroyed. 
He has changed the heritage of my people. How he has removed it from me. Now it's turned around. The shoe's on the other foot. You've sown, now you've reaped. Now you're in the position of those that you abused. But by the hand of God. Wow. The retribution would be in kind to a turncoat he has divided our fields. The reference to turncoat refers to a traitor, a rebel, referring to the king of Assyria. But that's what they were to their own people and to God. Wow. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hand is my indignation, Isaiah 10.5. Two contemporary prophets, both declaring the same line of prophecies. See, God has just forgiven Nineveh. We just studied Jonah. But God was going to use them as a rod of his anger. But they went too far, so God would get them later. Wow. Look at five. Micah declared their captivity to come. No one would be left to survey the land in the, in the year of Jubilee. Therefore, you will have no one to determine boundaries by lot. The land had been divided by lots, as you know, in the book of Joshua, chapter 18. The land would lie desolate and devastated through the captivity. All would be taken captive in the assembly of the Lord. Their gatherings were a corruption of God's way, syncretism, their worship, ascribing to the Lord that which was corrupt and perverted and idolatrous. You know, our streets are filled with violence. Our society is filled with dishonesty from those who are professionals to the common person. Home invasions are more common so that no one is safe, even in their own homes. Evil is declared to be good and good is declared to be evil, as Isaiah 5.20 says. And it's progressing at lightning speed in America. One of the reasons God has preserved the scriptures is to ensure that man has no excuse for not knowing about the faithful justice of God by always warning of judgment before it comes. He revealed the righteous justice and forgiveness of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, but there were consequences and sure judgment. He revealed the righteous justice of scattering the people in the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 because of disobedience, rebellion against God, making a religious system apart from God. He revealed the righteous destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19 because of perversion. Amos 3, 7 says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants and prophets. God is faithful always to warn, ladies and gentlemen. He's been warning for 2,000 years that he's coming to judge the world. People mock it. People laugh at it. People whatever. But he's still coming. The evil that has been allowed to prevail and progressively increase in our nation assures us of God's judgment to America. There is no sidestepping it. The destruction of the family through the moral sexual acceptance and casualty of divorce and all that has just disintegrated our society. The indoctrination of political correctness to ensure the amoral society agenda of diversity resulting in confusion and chaos is all around us. The pressure and castigation 
of the moral conservative, the veteran, and the Christian as they speak against the evil of our day is very, very clear through intimidation and now moving to legislation. Once again, listen to his contemporary Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 4. Isaiah, being the older contemporary of Micah, declare of God's justice, just judgment. He says, Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord Yahweh. They have provoked anger, the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backwards. We as a nation profess God in our documents, in our money, in our schools, in our prayer, and we've turned our back on God. This was the faithful warning to the evil people. He moves to the unfaithful practices of prophets and the people, verse 6 through 11. Look at 6. The prophet Micah exposed the evil words of the wealthy evil people uh, to the prophets of God. Um, God reveals through Micah in verse 6 that these people told the prophets of God not to speak forth the words from God. <laughs> Nothing new. Their words were sarcastic and insulting. Do not prattle, you say to those who prophesy. The word prattle means to drip or drop. It can be used for speech or for prophecy. Job 29.22 and Amos 7.16. The context will determine... The people were saying, stop saying things that irritate us, bother us, and bring disgrace upon us. God's word does that to us. We feel guilty. We No, because you call out sin. People don't want to hear about sin today, especially the emergent church today. Other prophets were told to be quiet too. Isaiah 30, verse 10. Jeremiah 5, 30 and 31. Amos 2, 12. And others. Notice their words would be honored by God. So they shall not prophesy to you. Okay. God had sent the prophets for about 200 years, the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom had not one good king. 19 bad kings. Wow. We think we have it bad. The southern kingdom had eight good kings, 12 bad kings little better. Notice the rejection would not be taken with personal offense. They shall not return insult for insult. In other words, they will not cast their pearls before the swine. Fine, you don't want to hear it? Fine. They have spoken up to the time of the judgment. Judgment is just around the corner. Notice God rebuked the people through Micah for their arrogance to think that they had the authority to silence God. Look at verse 7. Don't miss this. Now, some take these questions, rhetorical questions, to be uh, the words of the false prophets uh, being quoted by the people. But there's nothing in the context that would dictate that. This is God speaking. God included both Israel and Judah. You who are named the house of Jacob. Jacob means heel catcher, conniver, flim flam man, trusting himself. His name was changed to Israel. Under God's control, govern. God asked some rhetorical questions to the people. The first being, is the spirit of the Lord Yahweh restricted? The word restricted can mean short or impatient. The context will determine which one. 
Here, Micah is saying the fact that they told him and other prophets to be silent did not mean that they could silence or restrain the spirit of Yahweh. The answer is no. You might be able to kill me. You might be able to throw me in jail. But you're not going to stop God from speaking. But people are arrogant. Second question. Are these his doings? Are these the ways of his character to be silent about sin and judgment to come? No. They could not blame God for the judgment to come. They brought it upon themselves. It's their fault. They had been warned over and over again. God had been very patient. Third question. Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? Yes. The word of God was for the benefit of the godly, not needing to fear God, but taking the heat to flee. And if the evil person repented, then they would be careful by God. God is very just. I mean, if I was God, I'd just fry us. And so would you, so don't sit there so pious. <laughs> I mean, you talk about patience. Wow. Look at verse 8 and 9. The prophet Micah declared the evil works of the people. In verse 8, God accused the people of treachery of the rich against the poor. They had opposed him, God. Lately, my people have risen up as an enemy. They had become cruel and hostile to their own. You pull off the robes and the garments from those who trust in you as they pass by. The phrase pull off is used to raid uh, marauding parties that just pull stuff off or for um, soldiers who rip off the spoil or the booty from war. First Samuel 23, 27, Hosea 7, 1. The reference is to the pledge security also of the garment and the pledge where you would give to somebody for if you borrow some money and then you would go work and then at the end of the day they would give it back so you can sleep with it and you bring it in the morning. It was a, a form of guarantee. But also perhaps as they are fleeing from Assyria in the north, fleeing south, and as they're running with a few things that they're trying to preserve of their valuables and these wealthy people would just take them off of them. Heartless. Wow. They had become callous like men returned from war, it says. The poor being caught by surprise as their victims. Look at 9. God accused the poor of becoming uncompassionate. Defenseless women, probably widows, were left homeless. The widows, the women of my people, you cast out from their pleasant houses. There's nobody more vulnerable than a woman, especially a widow with children. The Bible is very clear. Look at, study the law. God says much about the widow, the orphan. Defenseless children sold into slavery from their children, it says there. Removing them from the, the mother in the home. Due to the evil leaders... The entire generation of children were denied the blessing of God on their people. You have taken away my glory forever from their children. The next generation would be in captivity. 
722 until they come back in 436, 37 under Cyrus. And not all of them came back. Very small contingent. We have plenty of accounts of the Old Testament with Elisha and the widow and her son and in the book of Kings. The difficulties. Look at verse 10 and 11. The prophet Micah described the evil worthy of judgment. Don't miss it. Verse 10, God proclaimed their ultimate captivity. The reality was that little time was left. Arise and depart, for this is not your rest. Time's up. You're going into captivity. The reason is that they defile the land because it is defiled. Remember when he brought them into the land with Joshua? He said, the land's going to spit these guys out because of their adultery, because of their fornications, because of their idolatry, because of their, their, all their ways. And if you do the same, the land will spit you out. You see, there comes a time when a society is so decayed that the land itself cannot support the conduct of the people. The society disintegrates. Rome is a perfect example. It wasn't conquered. It disintegrated from within. We have not been conquered. We're disintegrating from within. The repercussion was not good. It shall destroy, yes, with utter destruction, verse 10 says. Notice God proclaimed their extreme conditions of being out of touch with God. Well, all this is going on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Today, you talk to people, you know, oh, yeah, you Christians. You know, they're just out of touch. They're so smart today, you know. We've got our education and we're, we believe in science and all this. and Just oblivious. These individuals would only want the false prophets to speak out because they condone their evil lives. He says, if a man should walk in a false spirit and speak a lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink. I find that interesting regarding the emergent church. Who very arrogantly and unashamedly speak about pastors drinking with their elders and beer bashes. There's nothing wrong with that, they say. Okay. Good enough. The luxury of wealth allowed them to hire yes prophets who commended and spoke blessings upon them. As if God was condoning their conduct. Their wealth also had resulted in the vice of drunkenness, a problem that was a national problem. Amos has touched it. Hosea has touched it. Joel has touched it. Why would you want to go near it? That's what we did in the world. Nothing ever came good when I drank a beer. Ever. Oh, God, loaded. Never. And now Christians are, you know, we're free, this and that. <laughs> Not for long. Look at 11 still. 
These false prophets would reinforce their own deception and lies. Even he would be the prattler of this people. So they get, yes, probably tell them how good they are. They're commending themselves, applauding each other. Listen to Jeremiah 5.31. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? Hmm. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night, till wine inflames them, the harp and the strings, the tambourines and flute. And wine are in their feasts, but they do not regard the work of the Lord Yahweh, nor consider the operation of his hands. Isaiah 5, 11 through 12, Micah's contemporary. Hmm. It's been put this way, so a thought, reap a deed. So a deed, reap an act. So an act, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. Person or nation, no exception. We see the amount of false teaching that is going on today in the church. It's alarming. Um, I spoke yesterday at a conference that we put on at one of the Calvaries against the emergent church and all that. The number of people were not that many. If we would have had a conference on being drunk in the spirit or beer bashing, we couldn't have got all the people in the building. It's the day that we're living in, ladies and gentlemen. Turning Christianity into, and the Bible into Christian psychology. What an insult. Christian psychology is like grape nut. It's neither grape nor nut. What is it? There is never any Christian psychology. Do me a favor when you get out of church today. Call UCLA and ask them for the Christian the psychological department. Even the world's given up on psychology. But the Christians are wrapping it up and spraying some stuff on it, calling it a Christian. Wow. Turning the church into a community that is more interested in comfort for man than preaching the truth of the Word of God. Turning the Word of God into having no authority through the seeker-friendly and emergent church movement, watering down God's word, telling us stories, depending on marketing principles, corporate principles to manage the church. So the pastors are like CEOs. They hobnob with each other. Hmm. They're all jet-set. First class on their jets. Wow. You know, Pastor Chuck went to Israel every year, sometimes twice a year. And he always flew coach with the people. Chuck wasn't a little guy. Too bad some of his protégés didn't take a class. They fly a week ahead, fly first class, and wait for their people. Wow, really? Shame on them.
Listen to Jeremiah 23, 28. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell the dream. He who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the shaft of the wheat, says the Lord Yahweh. Wheat will make you strong. Shaft won't. It's husk. No nourishment. We see the amount of false living that is practiced by those who call themselves Christians today. We're told by the pastors and leaders themselves of their, there's nothing wrong with drinking as Christians, as I said. They have beer bashes, as I mentioned. They don't try to hide it. Um, you can listen to these pastors speak with profanity over the pulpit, I heard. I've never, I, I don't go to blogs. I don't go to Calvary Chapel blogs. I don't go to your blog. I don't go to nobody. People always want me on Linky Dink or whatever it is. I, I trash it. I don't do anything. I, I, I text, I FaceTime, and I speak on the phone and face-to-face. That's all I do. I've got a life. But you can hear them in their own words because they want to identify. The, I'm just like a common guy, you know, so they blurt out a couple of expletives from the pulpits just to show you how cool they are, really. Hmm. You can read and hear their own words of being ecumenical, being one with everyone under the guise of love and no doctrine. Wow. They don't even try to hide it because they're accepted. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Take heed to yourselves and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. I am here as your pastor to teach you the word of God, to pray for you, to pray with you, to do whatever I can for you. You're not here for me. You're not here to bring me presents. You're not here to tell me how good I am. You're not here to do anything but to listen to the voice of God so that he can run your life. And so he can bless you and direct you and guide you and make you a godly man and a godly woman. That's why we serve here as pastors. No other reason, ladies and gentlemen. We're not in it to be popular. I'm not very popular. I am popular, but in the wrong way. (laughs) This was the unfaithful practices of the prophets and people. Notice thirdly. The faithful remnant of God's people comes, verse 12 and 13. In verse 12, the prophet Micah proclaimed their future hope of regathering. Now Micah proceeds to prophesy about the kingdom age in verse 12. All of a sudden, he doesn't make any warning. No change of topic is announced. There is nothing that's made in a distinction. He just continues. Now Peter tells us the prophets sometimes knew exactly what they were saying to who they were saying. At other times, they, I don't know what this is. But God does, so it doesn't matter. But he goes right from the judgment to the kingdom age. Bypassing the rest of the 700 years of the Old Testament, the, the 400, including the 400 years of silence, and the 2,000 years of the church that we have lived right now, all the way to the kingdom age. He mentions the kingdom age throughout most of chapter 4 and 5. Chapter 4, 1, it says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. That's the beginning. 
of those two chapters. But he begins here at the end of three. These two verses. Micah declared God will establish the kingdom age rather than uh, right after the great tribulation. We know that for sure. The tribulation is to prepare Israel for their Messiah. Look at verse 12 there. God is the speaker declaring the certainty of not one person being excluded. But, but it's a, a very specific type of group. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob, Israel. All is limited to the nation of Israel. God declared the identity of the full number. I will surely gather the remnant, underline that, the remnant of Israel. Not the church, the remnant of Israel. The remnant means all who believe in their Messiah. Romans chapter 9, Paul deals with it. Romans 9, 10, 11 is the election of a nation, not election of individual salvation. Calvinists twisted and perverted out of context. Paul is talking about Malachi. Esau have I hated, Jacob have I loved. He's quoting Malachi, and Malachi is referring to Genesis 25, the election of the nation, Edom, Israel, not individual salvation. And they know they're lying. And they call themselves Christians. Look at 12. God declared their unity based on him. I will put them together like a sheep of the fold. The phrase I is repeated three times in this verse. God will do it. Nothing's difficult for him. He brought the nation back in 48, right? No big deal. Jesus said, Another sheep I have of this fold. Them also I must bring in, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd speaking about Jew and Gentile in Christ Jesus. What's going on right now, John ten sixteen? Jew and Gentile, one in Christ. The remnant here is Israel after the great tribulation who will occupy the kingdom. So context is very important. God declared he would care and protect them like a flock in the midst of their pasture under the vigilant care of the shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. God declared their great number. They shall make a loud noise because of many, so many people. Their overwhelming joy in the kingdom recognizing they crucified their own Messiah, recognizing his grace and his forgiveness and his faithfulness to the promises to give them everything he promised in the kingdom age. Look at 13. The prophet Micah proclaimed about their future hope, reconcile to their Messiah. Jesus will be present with them. The one who breaks open will come up before them. Jesus was sent to his own, but his own receives him not, John 1.11 says. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and rejected her to utter destruction, not having known her day, Luke 19.41-44. through 44. If you had known this thy day, the things that were prepared for you, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Titus in 70 AD destroyed the city, the temple, scattered the Jews. Nation of Israel ceased until 1948. Wow. Jesus said, for I say to you, you shall not see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Matthew 23, 39. This is the time of his second coming. Jesus will be their king. Look at 13, the rest of it. 
They will break out, pass through the gates, and go out by it. Their king will pass before them with the Lord Yahweh at their head. Jesus doesn't follow. He leads. <laughs> the millennial reign we've read already in Micah 4.1. The Messiah's reign is in Micah 4.7. The Messiah's birth is in Micah 5.2, Bethlehem. The future exaltation of Zion is given in chapter 4 of Micah, verse 1 through 8. The future might of Zion is in Micah 4, 9 through 13. The future king of Zion is in chapter 5, 1 through 4. The future peace of Zion is in chapter 5, 5 through 6. And the future vindication of Zion is in chapter 5, verse 7 through 9. And the future purification of Zion is in Micah 5, 10 through 15. Now, do you think there's a kingdom coming? There's more material in the millennial kingdom than anything else in the Bible. No one talks about it. We've done a whole series on it. You and I as church will reign with Jesus Christ. The Jew will occupy the kingdom and the Gentile will serve the Jew. You don't like that? Suck it up. That's God's plan. The way it is. Listen to... um, Micah's contemporary that illustrates this point. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. So, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Who's saying this? Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Both prophets declaring a parallel message. The teaching of replacement theology is what is taught in most Christian churches that came out of the German rationalism, neo-Orthodox. It plagued Fuller Seminary through Fuller's son, Daniel, liberal to the max. Don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, the infallibility. It's after every next little movement, beginning with signs and wonders in the 70s and the 80s with uh, the late John Wimber as Wagner did his classes there. Then they moved on to the next thing, and then the next thing, and now they're on this last thing. Wow. Replacing theology teaches that God is through with Israel and has no more dealings with the nation. What do you do with Romans 9, 10, and 11? What do you do with Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the prophets? What do you do with Revelation chapter 6 to 18? What do you do with that? You just ignore it? You change the text? You put a, a church under there? What do you do with Daniel 9:27? What do you do with Daniel 24 to 26? What do you do with Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21? Hmm. It teaches the church is spiritual Israel, and all the promises of Israel now belong to the church. Blasphemous. This denies that Jesus will gather the remnant of Israel during the last half of the tribulation to set up the kingdom. 
Micah 4.2 says, Many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord Yahweh, to the house of the, our God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Not New York, not Vegas, not Detroit, not Moscow. Jerusalem. You see, the teaching of replacement theology most of all ignores the clear distinction between the nation of Israel and the church. The nation of Israel are Jews with a few proselytes that came in. The wife of God has been put away because of spiritual adultery. The church is the bride of Christ, a virgin comprised of Jew and Gentile. The wife of God Israel was married and had been put away. The church is a virgin bride looking for a wedding. Listen to Romans eleven twenty five to 28. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant about this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile come in, the full number of people to be saved before the rapture. And so all Israel will be saved, that is written. All Israel is the remnant. The deliverer will come out of Zion. Not New York, Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, Israel. For this is my covenant with them, Jews. When I take away their sin, Jews, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, Jews. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the Father, Jews. Now, what is it that we don't understand? Paul is saying, you Gentiles, be careful you don't boast against the root. The root bears you. You're just a wild branch grafted in. And if you cut them off, he can cut you off. Ooh, ooh, okay. Interesting. The millennial kingdom is mentioned by most of the prophets, as you know. Hosea, Joel, Amos, the minor prophets we studied, certainly Isaiah, Jeremiah, I've quoted from them, and many of the others. And they all focus on the remnant of Israel, not all Israel. Paul makes this very clear in their Romans 9, 10, and 11. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel also God gave to Daniel the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the empires of the world to come, as you know. The head of gold on down to the feet of iron and clay, the toes. Listen to Daniel. He says, you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on the feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold, which were crushed together and became like shaft from the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That rock cut out with hands is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ Messiah who strikes to all the governments, empires of the world, and he occupies the kingdom age. The interpretation is given to us in Scripture. In verse 45 of Daniel 2, that was 34 through 35. In 45, Daniel qualifies the absolute authority of its coming to pass. Listen carefully. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountains without hands. That's key. Virgin birth. 
and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will happen and come to pass after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is certain. Wow. We're about to see the feet of clay come together. It's already known as a common market. It's changed around in number. It will end up in 10. This is the faithful remnant of God's people. Micah declares it very clearly. There is yet a day for Israel, the remnant. But he's dealing with the northern part and the southern part right now. Under the hand of chastening by Assyria. And so the prophet Micah denounced the evil of his day. Characterized by the faithful warning to the evil people. The unfaithful practices of the prophets and the people. And the faithful remnant of God's people. God's not the author of confusion, ladies and gentlemen. He's very consistent. He knows the end from the beginning. He loves sinners. He warns sinners of the wrath that is coming. And he would much rather forgive your sin than ever judge it. For he fell on his own son in wrath. Who made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made. The righteousness of God in him. Come, let's reason together. Though your sins be red as crimson, I will make them white as snow. Where are you going to get a deal like that? Not on earth. Never from earth. Only heaven. Where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Won't you come and give him your heart? All he wants to do is run your life for you. <laughs> And do a lot better job. Lord, thank you for your grace, your goodness, your love. We so thank you for all that you do, Lord. Your faithfulness to your people, to your church. Pray for those that are here, Lord, and those over the radio and those over the internet. That you would just speak to their hearts if they don't know you. That you are able to forgive them of any sin and all sin and make them white as snow. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Right where you sit, you can ask him. You don't need to do an altar call. I'm not against altar calls. I just don't do them. Because if you're playing games, you'll walk out the same way you came in. If you're not playing games, you'll walk out of your saved right where you sit. It's not the walk that makes you saved. It's your heart. Whether it's truly repentant and really calling upon the Lord or not. And if you want to be saved... Have God forgive you of your sins and change your life, your heart, your mind. Then this is your prayer to be born again. You can repeat it to God. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.